This morning's scripture reading is Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So today we are looking at uh, a tremendously popular psalm, Psalm 23. And, and I, I'll just be honest with you, I was very particular about choosing this psalm this morning um, because I knew that we were going to be talking about foster care and talking about ad- adoption. And, and I wanted to choose um, a, a, a psalm that I think reflects that, a, a psalm that provides a kind of biblical backbone to this call of foster care and adoption. And you might be going, I don't, where is the word foster care or adoption? It's in the Hebrew, friends. It's right no, it's not. But I do believe this passage can, um, can empower those who are called, can be a scripture that, that empowers some of you who are called into foster care. And so um, I'm going to ask for your grace as I, I do make some, throughout this sermon, make some connections between Psalm 23 and possibly your call to adopt a child or to become a foster parent. Um, and I want to be very careful. Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just a passionate person by nature. I like raising my voice. Sometimes I prefer not to preach with the mic because I get to yell louder. And, and I don't know why that is. I'm gonna, God made me that way, friends. And, and I, I just want to be careful because obviously, if you've been here at the mission any, uh, any amount of time, um, you know that my zeal for orphan care is maybe like you've never seen before. And I want to be careful in making sure that um, v- my zeal does not translate into this, if you're not called to be a foster parent or adopt, then, well, maybe you should find a different church. No, that, that's not the case at all. I completely understand that there are a great number of you where God has a different calling upon your life. It's not foster care. It's not adoption. It's maybe something else altogether. Um, but I can't help but preach passionately about this um, because the need is so absolutely tremendous. Um, one of the prayers that I have and the passions that I have is um, if you look at the statistics, in fact, the local news network just put out an article um, back in June highlighting that um, since 2012, uh, the amount of kids in foster care in the state of Washington has increased by 20%, um, and, and the amount of foster parents has not increased at all. And so what you have in the state of Washington is you have about 10,000 children in foster care at any given moment in time, and you have about 4,000 foster parents. So do the math on that one. It's not pretty. 10,000, 4,000. 
And, and so the need is there. And my prayer and my passion and my zeal is that, that Christians, that gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, pursuing Christians would step into that gap and lay down their lives for a life that it may cost you everything. And, um, and I love Eric and Shana's response of just, there are so many obstacles. Why do you do it? Because uh, the cost for you as a foster parent doesn't even come close to the cost that these three-year-olds or these five-year-olds or these 12-year-olds or these um, 600 or so kids that age out of the system every year. And, and so um, the need is real. And um, I pray for those who might feel this call, um, uh, pray about it and um, listen to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, um, I, I'll open by saying this. As I read a, a number of different commentaries on Psalm 23, all of them had something in common, and that is this, that they um, had like a subtitle to Psalm 23, and their subtitle was The Abundant Life. Psalm 23 is about the abundant life. Now, how many of you, that sounds good? You want to get on board of this abundant life? Anybody? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. I wouldn't mind an abundant life either. That's what this psalm is about. And, 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 and they give it this subtitle, The Abundant Life, for two reasons. One is, we're just going to read the psalm. You saw it. It's filled with abundance, or at least language of abundance. Green pastures, still waters, a soul that's restored. Um, probably the most um, explicit verses in verse 5 where it says, My cup, it's so full that it's overflowing. It's, it's filled with abundance. But the other reason why this psalm is subtitled The Abundant Life by so many biblical commentators and theologians is because Jesus seems to make that exact connection. If you remember in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good what? Shepherd. Says it a number of times. Verses 1 through 18, he says it a number of times. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And, and what he's doing in his original audience, they knew this. They were steeped in, in the Jewish scriptures. They were steeped in all of the Psalms and all of his hearers. They knew what Jesus was doing. They knew Jesus was going, hey, you know Psalm 23? That's me. I'm the shepherd. That's me. I'm that good shepherd right almost smack dab in the middle of Jesus drawing out this metaphor of him being the good shepherd, the good shepherd, the good shepherd, almost smack dab in the middle is verse 10. And in verse 10, Jesus, while he's saying, I am the good shepherd, he says, oh, by the way, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Verse 10, life more abundantly. Verse 11, what does he say? He says what he's already said a number of times. Because I am the good shepherd. And so here's what's incredible. We get to read Psalm 23 through the lens of knowing Jesus is my good shepherd. And he has called me to an abundant life. And I would just ask this question as we get rolling in this passage. 
how would you describe the abundant life? What does the abundant life look to you? What kind of things do you have? What kind of lifestyle are you living? What does your family look like? What does your um, relationships look like? What, 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 how would you describe the abundant life? Think, think through that. That's exactly what Psalm 23 is gonna do. And, and, and I'm just gonna warn you, it's gonna throw us a curveball. So Psalm 23, let's just take this bit by bit. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now let's, let's pause here. My shepherd, um, one of the commentaries I read just so astutely points out that this is the most comprehensive and the most intimate metaphor used of God up until this point in the book of Psalms. Up until this point, God is king, God is refuge, God is rock, God is deliverer. And, and David, who writes this psalm, says, oh, guys, he's, he's even more than that. He's our, he's our shepherd. Why is that so profound? So think about this for a moment. If God's the shepherd, who are we? Sheep. There's some good news and some also bad news that we're going to find out about that. Here's what we need to understand about the shepherd. The shepherd did not leave the flocks, ever. Midnight with the flocks. Three in the morning with the flocks. It was probably harder to be a shepherd than a foster parent now that I'm thinking of it. I mean, it was, you're watching the flock and, and there's many, many sheep and you've got to care for all of them. And, and, and David says, that's my God. That's your God. That we have a God that takes us into his care and says, I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. I, like, I'm with you. Do you hear that? So, so if you feel anxious or overwhelmed this morning or burdened this morning, if you know Christ as your savior, Jesus is saying, don't forget that I'm, I'm, your, I'm your good shepherd. You may feel like I'm distant, but you need to know I'm right here. David says, he, he's my shepherd. And, and in this next line, I shall not want. Other translations have it, um, I lack nothing. This is, the, we kind of skim over this as Americans because um, we always have the knee-jerk reaction of wanting stuff. Do you not always want stuff? Me neither. I never want stuff, ever. But, but think about this. What this is saying is if God is your shepherd, if Jesus is your shepherd, you don't need to desire anything. Everything you have right now, it may not be as much as the other person next to you, but Jesus is saying, that's enough. You have enough. I will provide for you. I will give you everything you need. And he continues and he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, um, we need to remember, I said this in week one, what we are reading here in, in the book of Psalms, what we are reading here is not a novel. We're not reading a great American novel or a great Hebrew novel. We're not reading a historical account. We are reading ancient Hebrew poetry. And we are reading ancient Hebrew poetry that was written in a particular location. Can you guess what location this was written in? Anybody? The Middle East, Israel. 
which is important because do we live in the Middle East? No. We live in Washington where even though it's August, we can, there's green stuff grow. It's namely stuff I want to get rid of. My wife is like, can we hire goats or sheep to come and eat all the greenery? And it's like August. So, so we have green everywhere. We have rivers, we have lakes, we have streams everywhere. And David is in the Middle East where um, I've been there. It's very rocky. And I do not remember one time seeing greenery. It's just very rare. And streams or lakes or rivers, they're hard to find. And so David is making a profound statement here. He's going, he's going God is our shepherd and he knows exactly where those green grasses are and he knows exactly where those streams of water is. What is, what is grass and what is water to a sheep? It's their livelihood, right? You're not living if you don't, you can't get to any green pastures. And, and in Israel, where they're hard to come by, and what David is saying is, my God, will all, he'll, he'll provide for me. He'll meet my needs. And then I love this next part. He restores my soul. It's this idea that, has this ever happened to you where you just feel anxious, you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you don't know where your right or your left hand should go? Like what, you, you, your life just feels so overwhelming. Anybody? Anybody? Just, just me again, guys. You are so talkative at the beginning of service. What's going on here? Come on. And, and what David is going is, God brings me to this place where I can just go... God's got this. He, he's my shepherd. He restores my soul. And I love this next part. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, this word righteousness, it's a big biblical word, especially when you get to the New Testament. And, and the word that's being used here is not the same meaning of righteousness that we find in the New Testament where righteousness means to be right with God. That's actually not what it means here. It literally means the right path. He leads me in the exact right paths. He, he knows where I need to go. He, know it needs when I, he knows when I need to go left. He knows when I need to go right. He knows that when I've got this very difficult situation that I'm walking through, he knows when I got a tough decision to make. He knows the right way and he will lead me on the exact right path. Now I want you to notice something here. Notice how God in this, God in his David gives God some pretty forceful positions here. Notice where the sheep are at and notice where God is at. Notice who's doing the leading, who's doing the guiding, and who's really just, just receiving. It says, he, he, that is God, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's this picture of like, no, he, he takes you. I'm, um, I, I listened to one pastor who pointed out that, that one, sometimes what they would do is if they got this sheep that just kind of keeps wandering, they'll take the sheep, they'll break its leg and say, you got to sit down and eat. 
Because if you keep wandering, you're going to die. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you. He guides you. And the language is, is pretty almost forceful. Why is this? Because we are sheep, and sheep are prone to what? Wander. We are so prone to wander. We are so prone to walk away from the green fields or that stream. We are so prone to go, you know, God, I, your way is probably this way, but that just looks so much more fun in this season of life. Or that looks so much easier in this season of life. We are prone to wander. And so God, as a good shepherd, says, you know what? Sometimes I just need to take a hold of you and lead you and guide you and make you sit in some green pastures. And it might lead us to this question, how do we, how do we make sure that we are on these right paths? I mean, in the metaphor here, God is the one doing all the work. God is the one leading, guiding, even making us. What's our part? Do we just kind of sit here? Do we just go, okay, God, you're, I'm, I'm just going to count on you taking me, leading me. Are we, are we just sit there completely passive and do nothing? How do we make sure that we are going in God's direction? How do we make sure we are walking in these right paths? How do we make sure we are following the good shepherd. And Jesus helps us out because Jesus talks through this in John chapter 10 when he refers to himself as the good shepherd. He says, the sheep, they hear his voice. He's speaking of himself. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. How do we make sure that we are walking in these right paths? How do you make sure that the Lord is leading you and guiding you? This this first answer is gonna be just completely obvious and unfortunately we need to hear it. How do we make sure God is our shepherd? Jesus is our shepherd. Here's what we do. We follow him. We follow him. I, I love this. The sheep hear his voice and he, he calls his own sheep. When he has brought them, brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep, here's what they do. They, they follow him. And here's the reason why I point out this obvious thing. How, how do you make sure that Jesus is your shepherd? You follow him. Why do I point this out? Because I've come to realize that there are a great number of Christians who believe Jesus is their shepherd, but yet they're not living like it. They believe Jesus is a good shepherd, but they're, they're just not following him. And this may be a very obvious question, but maybe you need to hear it. Is Jesus actually your shepherd? Are you actually submitting your life to Jesus and saying, Jesus, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever path you want me to go on, 
I'm going on. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Is Jesus really actually your shepherd or do you just simply believe that? But here's the other thing. How do, we, how do we make sure that Jesus is our shepherd? How do we make sure that we are walking on these right paths with him? Well, I love this last part. For they know his voice. Or literally it could say, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You wanna know how to follow Jesus? You wanna know how to make sure you're on those right paths? You gotta hear him. You gotta hear what Jesus has for you, what he's calling you to. And, it, and if you're like, well, that, that sounds extremely difficult. Guys, it's actually not that difficult. All we have to do is open up this book called the scriptures where Jesus, where God just over and over again says, this is the life I'm calling you to. This is the direction you need to go. And, and so I think one of the reasons why we can struggle in making Jesus our good shepherd. We can struggle in following Jesus is we never ever or rarely ever open up this word and, and ask ourselves, okay, God, where are you leading me? Where are you guiding me? What is it that you have to say? Um, I'm, I'm really excited. In two weeks, we're gonna start a new series called Jesus in the Kingdom. It's 14 weeks long, and we're just gonna go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm doing this sermon series for two big reasons. The first one is this. If you read one chapter of the Gospels a day from the beginning of the series to the end, you will have read through all four Gospels. And I just really want you to open up your Bible and just read one chapter a day. And the other reason why we're doing it is I want us to read what Jesus says, hear it, and then do it. And, and, and that's what Jesus is speaking about in John chapter 10. He's like, okay, if you're following me, you hear my voice. And, and so I gotta ask you, friends, is, is are you listening to his voice? Are you opening this, this incredible book where God says, here, come this way. This is the right path for your life. And looking back at Psalm 23, Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now we have to have a big conversation about this. This phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. What, what, what is this? Um, th this? This long phrase is one word in Hebrew. It's just one word. And um, it, it refers to really an actual geographical location that shepherds and, and really people would experience in the Middle East. And then also it's this really rich um, picture that David is trying to get in our mind. So first, this geographical location. So when you take sheep to green lush fields, the sheep eat the green lush fields and now they have to go find another field. And so the shepherd would take the sheep and guide them through the rocky terrain to find more green, lush pastures and still stream water so their souls can be restored. And so what would happen is as they went on these journey um, looking for green, lush pastures, what they would come across is these places in Israel. They're literally called wadis. And what a wadi is, is you would come to really kind of an edge of a cliff, 
and there would be this very steep path that zigzags, these still exist in Israel today, by the way, these very steep paths that zigzag all the way down into a very, very deep valley. And on the other side is another steep cliff that you have to zigzag all the way up. In fact, some commentators say that some of these wadis are so deep that when you get down into the depths of the valley, the sun just flat out disappears and you're just in the shadow. And so David is drawing this picture of going, there's gonna be seasons in your life where you're gonna come to the edge of the cliff and God is calling you to the other side and there's only one way through. It's down these very steep banks. Remember, you're not the shepherd in this metaphor. You're the sheep. You're gonna have to zigzag all the way down into the depths of this valley and oh, Now we gotta go all the way up. And it's also this very rich poetic picture, the valley of the shadow of death. This this Hebrew word is actually two Hebrew words made into one. And the picture is this, death and fear are so close to you that its shadow is hovering over you. And so David says, there's gonna be these seasons where you're gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It might be a miscarriage, it might be cancer, it might be divorce, it might be losing your job, it might be unfaithfulness in marriage, it it might be getting a diagnosis about your child's health problems. This is the valley of the shadow of death. But here's what's shocking about this passage. This is verse four. Do you remember what verse three says? He leads me in the right paths, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's what David is saying. You lead me in the right paths. The reality is sometimes the exact right path God has for you is into the valley of the shadow of death. And for some of us, this, 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 we can run from this. And, and David is telling us to run to this. Why? Here's what's going to happen when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to go just like Job did. Why? Why, God? Why? Why? And God is going to say, because this is the right path for you. And some of us, we can run from that because some people will just flat out say, well, doesn't that make God out to be like not good? That the right path is that I get cancer? How, how can God be good? Here's how he's good. He'll use that valley of the shadow of death for his glory and your good. And so sometimes, we need to hear this, sometimes the right path for you is the valley of the shadow of death. And God does that for at least two reasons. The first one I think we are familiar with, he wants to grow us, he wants to mature us. 
you read through the New Testament over and over again, there's this theme that God wants us to be holy as he's holy. He wants us to be more and more like him. And then he also tells us, and that's gonna be costly. First Peter one, Peter says, you're gonna be like gold. Do you know how gold gets refined? Fire, not a pretty picture. And so sometimes the right path for us is is the valley of the shadow of death because God's trying to grow you, mature you. He's trying to do something in you. But here's the other thing that I'm not sure we understand or get about why God leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. Think for a moment about the life of Jesus. Here's what's gonna happen when you read through all four gospels. You're gonna notice that the gospel writers talk about certain emotions Jesus feels. So for example, Jesus is in the temple and they've turned it into a marketplace and he was angry. It says he was angry. The emotion, anger. Um, there's when he is in the synagogue and he's gonna heal this man um, and he heals him on the Sabbath day and the religious leaders there, like the most righteous people of all, they're, they're indignant against Jesus because how dare he heal a person on a day where you're not supposed to work? And it says, Jesus was sad. And then there's the rich young ruler. Jesus says, leave everything, give it all away and follow me. And it says in that moment that Jesus loved him. Do you know the most prominent emotion that Jesus feels? At least in scripture, the most prominent emotion that he has. It's not love. It's compassion. Do you know what the word compassion means? English translation, pity. So English translation actually is very helpful. Compassion. It has its roots from Latin. Passion in Latin means to suffer. Come in Latin means with. The word compassion, it's not just pity. It's literally to suffer with. I don't think it's a mistake that this is what Jesus felt so much because what does he do over and over again? He, he suffers with people. In Mark and Matthew, this is incredible, ties directly back to Psalm 23. There's this verse where it says, Jesus saw the people and had compassion upon them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And so what does Jesus do? He literally enters into their suffering. You know that passage in John chapter uh, 11 where Lazarus is raised from the dead? Jesus takes time to weep when he doesn't have to. He's like, hey, it's, Lazarus, we just get up. But he doesn't. He weeps. He doesn't weep over Lazarus, by the way. He weeps over everyone else is over over everyone else who is weeping and feeling the pain. And this is what Jesus does. He enters into the pain and the suffering and the struggle. He enters into the deep, dark shadow of the valley of the shadow valley of the shadow of death of other people who can't get out. And he goes down there for them and takes them out. And when you read the words of Jesus and when you read the teachings of Jesus, doesn't he call us to do the same exact thing? 
the things that Jesus has to say to us is pretty shocking. He says things like, if you wanna follow me, you're gonna have to pick up your cross every single day. Oh, by the way, a cross is an instrument of execution. It is an instrument of suffering. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you know what my path is? My path is Calvary Road. And so, in many ways, Jesus calls us to live in the valley of the shadow of death. Not just to mature us, not to to grow us, but because there's about 120 some odd orphans in our world today. 120 million, sorry, let's get that number right. 120 million orphans. There are over 400,000 foster kids in the United States. There's homelessness, there's mental illness. There are people who live in the valley of the shadow of death without Christ. And Christ beckons us to join him in going down and bringing them through. But here's what's so shocking about this passage. This passage is about the abundant life. And Jesus is not saying, hey, this is, this is the abundant life. David is not saying, hey, this is the abundant life. And oh, verse four, this is kind of like one of the things that you have to do to like get to the abundant life. No, 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 David is saying, this is actually part of the abundant life. How can that be? How can the valley of the shadow of death be part of the abundant life? Friends, David is a poetic genius in how he does it. I'm very excited about what I'm about ready to share with you. So sometimes what the psalmist will do is they will use what you might call mathematical poetry. You didn't know that existed. Friends, use this at the next party you're at. You know, friends, let me tell you about mathematical poetry and scripture. It, you'll blow their minds. So we have an English alphabet and we have a numbering system. Hebrews didn't. Hebrews had, Israelites had Hebrew language, Hebrew alphabet, and their alphabet was their numbering system. That would get confusing very quickly. So the first letter in, in Hebrew, Aleph equals one, Beit equals two, Gimel equals three, Dalit equals four. That's the only Hebrew I know so far. So we're stopping there, friends. And, and, and so on and so forth. So when you look at Psalm 23, what's the very first word? Say it out loud. We know Psalm 23, maybe. The Lord. So in Hebrew, the Lord, it's literally just Yahweh. Anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your English translations, it's Yahweh. It is the divine name of God. Very first word, Yahweh. When does the word Yahweh happen again in Psalm 23? Verse six. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Only two times in all of Psalm 23 does the name Yahweh happen. Numerical value of Yahweh. Now, what do you think it is? This is cool. Anybody? What is it going to be? What psalm is this? 23. I think this is why Michael Jordan was number, number 23. Maybe. 
There, so Yahweh equals 23. There are precisely 23 words before and 23 words after this phrase right here. For you are with me. David says, the abundant life is even even walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Why is it abundant life? Well, two reasons. He knows he's going through it. Even though I walk through, through the valley of the shadow of death, and then he knows God's with me. Look at, he stares fear in the face and he says, I'm I'm not going to fear evil because I know that my God is with me. In fact, he has this rod that is made to beat down any sort of evil or any sort of predator. He's just going to knock him out. And and it's almost if David is looking forward to this. It's like, I can't wait. I'll be walking through the valley and God's just going to be like, bam, bam, bam. You know, I mean, just taking care of business. And, And David goes, This is the abundant life, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because he is with me. And so, to be a foster parent, it is the valley of the shadow of death. We have a foster child that just got placed with us. I don't want to say almost certainly, but we are being told almost certainly she will go home, but it's going to be several months. And we know that this will be probably one of the most deepest, darkest valleys of our lives. But God is with me. And it is a valley to adopt a child. God is with you. And it is a valley to struggle with sickness, to struggle with marriage issues to struggle with your kids but did you know God is with you and he's trying to do something in you and he's actually trying to do something through you and I love how the rest of the psalm ends you prepare a table before me the metaphor shifts God is no longer shepherd he's a host foster families they're hosts you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies David is not David understands that even when God prepares a feast before him, there's still going to be enemies around him. You anoint my head with oil. That was a picture of hospitality. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Follow me, it literally means pursues me. That's why I, I, I think Jesus, is, Jesus can make a connection between the lost sheep because what happens um, with that parable of the lost sheep, Jesus doesn't follow the sheep, he pursues the sheep. And that's what David is saying, that if God is your shepherd, he will pursue you and he will save you. And so friends, I end with asking you this question. Is God your shepherd? Do you believe that? Are you living that? And those of you who are feeling like you're in the valley of the shadow of death, don't miss the promise of verse four. He's with you and he will bring you through. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear because you are with us. You are with us. 
Help us to feel your presence. And Father, as we turn to a time of worship, please allow us to feel your presence in this time. Pray this and everyone said, amen. We're gonna step into a time of worship and I want to invite you to the communion table to my left and to my right. It is an opportunity for us to remember that Christ pursued us by dying on the cross to save us from our sin. And we're gonna take offering during the last song and um, just invite you to give as, as you feel led. And if you're new, would you mind making um, that connection card your offering?